Hello, and welcome to episode two of season six of Relay Essay. Relay Essay is a podcast of student affairs across Canada, and the relay is that we interview our friends and colleagues, and at the end of every interview, they kind of pass the baton and recommend someone else that we should continue the conversation with. So the person that we are interviewing in this particular episode is Heather Lane. And Heather Lane got nominated by Marty Williams. And I don't know if you remember from that episode, Marty said you can thank Heather for Marty's career. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, so we were really excited to um, sit down with Heather. We actually met uh, Oise. at Oise yeah. in one of the study rooms in the Oise Library, um, which is kind of the Relay Essay, unofficial Relay <laughs> Essay Studios, um, and had a really wonderful conversation. And another highlight included that we had to leave on, t- like we wanted to continue talking, but we had to honor the signing out system and had students waiting. Yeah, there was a student group that needed to meet to do their group projects, so we had to cut our conversation a little bit early. But yeah. I think we still had a really good, fruitful, generative discussion. So here it, here it is. I will declare that I'm not the type to have any yes. It's worth all the shares. The number one podcast is student affairs. Want to hear what they have to say, along with all the guests that pop in on the way. All right, so we're recording. Hi. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right, do you want to start? Do you want to tell us your name? My name's Heather Lane. Hooray. Sometimes known as Heather Lane Fatir, but I've returned to Heather Lane. To the Heather Lane roots. Yes. And um, I think a good place to start is where are you currently working? Um, well, not in student affairs anymore, but okay. still in the sector. I am mm-hmm. the executive director of the Ontario University's Application Center. Is the it OUAC? OUAC? We say OUAC. But some people say OUAC. It's regional. Yeah. Some people say OUAC. We say OUAC. I say OUAC. Okay. I've been there just over a year, and we at that center process applications to all undergraduate programs, first-century undergraduate programs at the Ontario universities, all medical school applications, law school applications, teachers' college applications, um, um, rehabilitation science program applications, and then a whole bunch of other things that we do on contract for specific institutions, grad school, um, yeah. But we process somewhere around, we we process applications from over 200,000 people a year. Ooh, oh my god! <laughs> yeah, you know, no I, no I, pressure. I talked to the the staff. I had to do a present. I did a presentation to the staff meeting last June, so I had been there only a few months, and I talked about reframing the mission because really, day to day, mostly we're a we're a technical organization in IT because we we process everything comes in online and we distribute it electronically to the university. So. While there's a group that serves the applicants on phone and email and some and folks that work directly with admissions offices, um, a, a large part of the staff are, are looking at after the technical system. But I talked about reframing the mission mm. in other ways, and one of them being that we facilitate academic dreams. We're like the first entry point. No one gets to start their undergraduate academic career in a first entry program, like a f- going into first year without passing through our port portal. Salty oh. academic dreams. Yeah. That's a good tagline for it. <laughs> that is a good tagline. Yeah. 
That would have made me feel less stressed when I was Probably, submitting yeah. my like three choices for or whatever it was back it was, twenty years ago around yeah. now. When I did it, it was a it was a paper form, you, like yeah. a scantron kind of form, and mailed it in with a check stapled to the top. It's very different. <laughs> but I remember doing reference letters, and I would always leave them to last minute. Yeah, yeah. I remember driving them to the office yeah. because I didn't have really? time to mail them. So I'd be like. Yeah. Driving to Guelph to drop off these like med school reference letters or whatever. Oh my god! And yeah. for me to return to Guelph, which is the place other than where I grew up with my parents that I've lived the most years in oh, my life, yeah. and the place that sort of feels most like home, uh, it just happens the UAC in Guelph. And the story is that the when they started the UAC in the early seventies, the person that they approached to uh, start it up was the registrar at the University of Guelph and folklore. It, so the story goes, um, he said he would be happy to do it, but he wasn't leaving Guelph, so it's in Guelph. <laughs> that's a good I don't know if it's true or not, but I, I think it's a good, that's what that's I always uh, say to people uh, when they ask me why, why does it in oh Guelph. God. It really could be anywhere. I mean, it serves all Ontario universities, so it, it doesn't have to be it's pretty anywhere handy. specific. It's great, great for me. I'm not complaining at all. I'm happy to be back in Guelph. I'm never leaving. Never leaving. Unless oh my they fire me and I have to find another job. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess tell us more about your journey. Maybe you want to start on like how you started at Guelph and at, at in student affairs. Yeah. Yeah. So or do we want to even go back to um, undergrad. Well, even before, I mean, I I was not, you know, like most people who work in student affairs, it was not uh, where I expected I would work and nobody graduates yeah. from high school and I'm going to be a student affairs professional yeah. <laughs> um, I wanted to sew costumes in the theater and design clothes so I went to community college and studied fashion and theater costuming and then I worked for three years full time making costumes at Shaw and Stratford and other places that I got contracts Toronto, um, in Toronto and in, in, in it was all seasonal work and then I decided that I that the sewing hobby that I had loved so much had now become my job and I wasn't loving it as much anymore. So I decided to go to university. So I started my undergrad when I was 23. So I used to have students in my office who would be like, oh my God, if I fail this course, I'm going to get behind. Yeah, it's the end I'm of the like, world. there's no rush. <laughs> See all my degrees up on the wall? I started when I was 23. Anyway, um, so I went to Guelph and it lived in residence and then at Christmas RRA quit. And I was 23 years old, older than most of the students, and I was in a double room with an 18-year-old, and I applied to be the RA so I could have my own room. Yeah. And because I was a bit older, and I was, so I got the job and became an RA in Christmas of my first year. And uh, the rest, as they say, is history. I just stayed in residence life and then became a full-time residence manager at Guelph for, for three years, and then I decided to, while well, I did my master's degree, and then I decided to do my PhD, and I went to Ohio, and then uh, came back from Ohio and had three professional jobs between um, going to Ohio to do my degree and uh, leaving Ryerson. So I worked as the Dean of Students at Victoria College at the University of Toronto mm -hmm. for five years. I was Director of Housing at the University of Guelph for seven years. And then I was the Vice Provost of Students at Ryerson for just over nine years. What did you like? I'm at the UAC. Yeah. yeah, like not everyone likes, I remember like becoming an RA with a bunch of people and then like they just you know sometimes within the year they're like I'm done I'm out peace out How, what like what did you what well, aspects of the role did you fall in love with I did kind of step out yeah. I was only an RA for a year okay so Christmas till um, the end of the school year and then the next year I was the RA in the fall 
and then I left in December to go on the London semester. Goff has a some you know study abroad kind of semesters, but I was in Arts House, one of the living learning centers. So, it I probably wouldn't have wanted to be an RA in just a regular residence, but it was fifty students all interested and involved in the creative arts. So we had musicians and artists and actors, and it was sort of more my tribe. Um, more, more the kind of people that I was comfortable with, and then so I did it that winter, and then in the fall, and then I went on the London semester, and then I lived off campus for two years, and then when I started my masters, I became the program director mm -hmm. of Arts House. So I went back okay. to Arts House, and the art worked for me, and I had an apartment. I did that for two years, and then applied for the full-time job as a residence manager. Mm. So the two the, the two years I was there as program director, I was more doing programming and supervising the RA. But I had my own apartment, like a whole big apartment. It's a beautiful so, apartment. Yeah. Yeah. Right? yeah, so that was really different. I was a grad student. Okay. Yeah. And what was the, because when you applied to be a res manager, was that among the first cohort? It was the first cohort. It was the first cohort. So tell me it more about what the that, so it's like you know, assembling this dream team of folks who were kind of taking I, on we, the... I was, I've talked to friends about this who were part of that group. I don't know how. It's just a function of what happened. So... There used to be student, um, what were called hall advisors, and they were senior students who each, there was one in each building, and then the RAs reported to them. And the university had hired an organization called CRESAP to do a complete review of the administrative operation of every aspect of the university. Mm. And when they went in and did this housing review, they recommended rather than there being eight senior student hall advisors reporting to area directors that they just have eight full-time managers mm. and that's what came out of it so they got rid of the, the eight senior student folks and the two area directors that were full-time and created these eight positions um, and it was the first the first um, I think it was the first school that did these like kind of residence manager or hall director live in full-time for a whole building <clears throat> that the RAs reported to and and after that cohort, after that group, other universities going, well, look what they're doing, I go off and start doing the same thing. But they hired eight people. There were six of us that did it three. So they hired eight of us and you know, somebody left and another person came, somebody else left and another person came. But there were six of us that did full three years together. And at the end of that three years, we all quit. So it was a brand new, we had to buy a brand new eight cohort. And because it was a new job, we didn't. We had to figure it out for ourselves. We had to figure out how to train our staff. We were like writing it. Policies. Yeah. We thought it out. We wrote it. We lived in each other's pockets. Like I've, I don't think there was a. I, I was. I feel so fortunate to have had that experience. And we were all really different. Brought different things to the table. So it was kind of like as a combination, we were, um, one perfect, person with all the bits that everyone brought. And strangely, like you just. If you look at one cohort hired in one year right. at, a, at one university, and when I was the vice provost students at, at Ryerson, one of those other eight was the vice provost students at York, who's now the president at Sheridan, that's Janet. One of the eight was the vice president at Humber. One of the eight, like it, it was kind of a unique group of people that we all just, just kind of, <laughs> I don't know. There's a, if you, if you know your theater history, there's this infamous production of Godspell that was yeah. put on in Toronto. Yeah. That they hired this cast of unknowns and they included Gilda Radner, Andrea Martin, Martin Short, Thomas, yeah. Martin Short, 
Paul Schaefer was the musical director. Yeah. We were like the God, the students. Godspell. Godspell's equivalent of, the, of the Godspell the cast. cast. All unknowns <laughs> who just... That's my, that, that's my analogy. I just heard Jimmy Fallon interviewing Paul Schaefer like last week, and he talked about this, and I made the connection. You identified? Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Was there, who else was in this cohort? Uh, so it was Marty Williams, Janet Morrison, Jason Hunter, me, uh, John Conrad, who you may or may not know, he's a, so he's Lawrence, a right? yeah, he's like a VP research at St. Lawrence. Uh, Murray Ferguson, who left student affairs, became ins- an insurance guy. Um, a, a guy named Chris Patton, who ended up working in higher education in Australia. Who you introduced me to. I did, when you went to Australia. Oh. Yeah. Was like my only Chris pal Patton. And a woman named Bruna Corbezi, who was a public health nurse. Bruna left, and um, I can't remember what the who left the creative one, but uh, during the three years, there were two new people that joined us, and one was Dale Coffin who uh, worked for the Students' Union at University of Windsor for a long time, and he and his wife now have a uh, rental property business. They have a ton of rental properties across the city of Windsor that they manage and rent out a lot of them to students. And also during that three years, uh, Jen Keysmat, who was the chief city planner hey, of the yeah. city of Toronto and ran just ran for mayor of Toronto, was also part of that group. Wow. So a bunch of kind of That's like... That's like a study that needs to be... A bunch of duds who haven't been anywhere. A bunch of duds who never make anything of themselves. <laughs> That's incredible. What was in the water? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. It was... Uh, I, so... And there were eight of us. The, the unit was split by area. So four were hired for the north end of campus and four for the southeast end of campus. So, and we had two different man, assistant directors, one responsible for each end of campus. Mm. That changed later. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, one person, one of the assistant directors hired four, hired uh, Chris, Bruna, John, and Jason. And the other assistant director hired Murray, me, Jenna, and Marty. Who are those people? <laughs> One of them was Irene Thompson, who's the director of housing now at Guelph, and the other one, Alan Foles, isn't in housing anymore. He's the one that hired Janet, Marty, mm-hmm. Mar- Murray, and I. Did you always think that you would go back? Like when you left, when you kind of all left en masse, and then you were going yeah, to Yeah, I, do I left story? to go to grad school to study, to do a PhD in higher education and student affairs. So I, this was what my career was going to be. I was going to go get the next credential so I could work my way up. And both Janet and I left at the same time and went to the same yeah. grad school. So we were at, oh, at grad school, started our first year in all our classes together. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So how was your doctorate experience? It was good. Yeah? It was good. I, um, this is going to sound kind of stupid, but I always struggled with my confidence, in my intellectual confidence. I just was around really mm. smart people, mm. and I never saw, I'm not smart enough, I'm not as smart as them, and it, what it did for me was, uh, I kind of wanted to do it to prove to myself I could, and it also I came on going, oh yeah, okay, I'm smart enough, like, bleh. Yeah. I, you know, I just felt like, I can do this, I'm, I'm okay. Um, I, I loved the opportunity to step out of the work and full-time think about it talk about it study it write about it and be responsible for nothing and no one but myself so I had the luxury I was in my 30s I was already in my 30s I had no kids I had no partner um, so I didn't have to support anyone but me and it and I went full-time I you know had an assistantship made extra money tutoring 
my classmates in statistics and the master students in statistics, wow. and uh, worked part time in the dean of students office and got OSAP and. I loved being a grad student. I've often said if I won the lottery, I would just go be a grad student full-time, just take different degrees. <laughs> it was fun. Do you remember at that time what the emerging issues were at, in, in our industry? Like what was <clears throat> just coming on the horizon? Um, well, the Pascarello and Terenzini Taran, Taran, book, this the, what they call the sort of Bible of student affairs, had just been published. Oh, okay. Volume one was it? How Volume college one. students. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So I was there. I was at Bowling Green from ninety four to ninety six, and then I got the job at U of T and finished my thesis while I worked full time and and graduated in ninety eight. Um, the degree was really higher education administration. So of all my courses, there was only one that was really a student affairs okay. course. The rest were on law and governance, law, governance, leadership, history of higher education, curriculum. Um, so I, I don't remember the emerging issues as much as like just being am amazed by what I was learning. Like mm -hmm. I just, you know, I I'd studied marketing and consumer studies and mostly business courses, and then worked in student affairs, and I was actually learning about how a university worked. Yeah. And that, and that was interesting to me because as a grad student, when I worked in Arsos, I was also a, a student senator, like I said, on the university senate. And I probably had a better appreciation for that experience after I went to school and studied how universities are governed yeah, than I okay. did when I was in yeah, it. When you're, yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah. So, yeah. And so then I, I came home happily. Happily. I was very happy to get the job at the University of Toronto and come home. And it was live-in. Um, I don't think, well, some of them still are, maybe. Yeah, yeah. a few of them. Yeah, yeah. the Vic isn't, but it was then. So I lived on campus. I used to work, look out my bedroom window at the wrong. Oh. Yeah, it was in the in Ansley Hall, which is the one that's right across the street from the wrong. I lived there for five years. And that was a great experience, too. And some of my friends, like, uh, I knew Jenna Luker from before, and she was the dean of students at University College, and Marty worked for her. And John Conrad got hired as dean of students at, at Woodsworth. Right? Woodsworth. Yeah. So some of the same people that I already known and worked with were, were kind of around. So it was a really fun time. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And you're finishing your PhD and you're wrapping up and your doctorate. And I was finishing my oh, yeah. PhD. Yeah, yeah. The first thing I did it, it took me two, two years um, working full time. But I had already done all the courses and all the comprehensive exams while I was still in Ohio. So I just had to write my thesis. What was your thesis on? Um, ass assessment. Really? Ask me what was an emerging issue. Assessment that was, was okay. an emerging issue. Assessment. It was an assessment, and it was really about um, trying to <laughs> it can distill it down to some a very simple uh, conclusion. But it was really trying to understand in Canadian student affairs um, what student affairs practitioners, leaders' attitudes were about assessment, and what kinds of assessment practices were going on mm -hmm. and ultimately the, the the upshot was everyone thought it was really 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 important almost nobody was doing it mm. and it's probably not that different now I was just gonna say I, was, yeah. <laughs> I didn't like, want to admit it but I'm like mm -hmm. and that was 20 now 20 years ago can you believe that was 20 years ago Oh, wow. and the, and the uh, shoe and up craft book assessment and student affairs had just been published in my second year of my doctor and I went my first Maybe my second caucus conference. The first time I ever presented at caucus was at uh, in Simon at Simon Fraser 
was probably 96 or 97, I can't remember which year, and I was presenting kind of a summary of what was in that book. It was a brand new, recently published book, and I remember going in to do my presentation, never done a presentation at a national conference before, and because it was the new big thing, it was all the senior student affairs officers in my presentation, and I was just like, oh my God, oh Lord. <laughs> it was really scary. But I got to got to meet and know lots of people from that, from caucus, to meet all of many of the kind of leaders in the field and other people working in student affairs well, at, a, at that level. That's a good kind of segue, because one of the, I think, in the research yeah. that kind of Natty pulled together is, Notable is around you have a life membership award from caucus. You've been really involved with like I think OAKU and other professional organizations. You've been president of caucus. Yeah, you're kind of a big deal. I was. I was a big deal. Then I just okay, done. Yeah, I was really involved. And when when I worked at U of T, because I you know had been in school in the states and all my classmates grad students and student affairs there were very much involved in their professional associations in ASPA and ACPA and I had heard of caucus I had gone to caucus once at Brock and sort of had a, an idea of it and I thought to myself if I'm going to work in this field and work my way up and eventually become a senior student affairs officer blah 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 I should get involved in the professional organization and one of my staff at U of T nominated me for a board position, so I was just a board member at large, and then the um, uh, treasurer was stepped out, and the president asked after I'd been on the board for a year if I would consider being treasurer, and I said sure, it was the secretary treasurer or something, so I agreed to do that, and then uh, the president at the time convinced me, oh, you could you could be the president of caucus, I'm like, no, I can't, yeah, you can, and I so I ran for president, and then I was president for two years, and then, so I was on the board for a year as a member at large, a year as treasurer, president-elect, two years as proud. I was on the board for six years. Wow. Yeah. And uh, that was a great experience. I met lots of people and got, gained a lot of confidence around speaking in front of groups of people. And it probably helped me feel confident enough to put my name in it forward to be a senior student affairs officer. I went to mm. the, the, the time at, it was really interesting to go to, to Guelph uh, as a director of housing because I had worked there as a student and was a new professional there and now I was going to go back and um, uh, try and aim for the big job that, and it was a surprise when I got it and I was really happy. I learned a lot there, um, but it was really more of an opportunity to have experiences. I had, I had interviewed for a senior student affairs position right from... U of T and the president at the school that I went to um, had dinner with him when I was there as part of the recruitment and he said you're clearly very smart and capable you're just missing some pieces like what the operation you were responsible for is really really small yeah and you don't you haven't supervised you, you know you ha I had one full-time two full-time staff members and then the student the dons my budget was quite small because I only had the residence life piece not the facilities piece and he said you need to uh, have experience managing in a unionized environment, uh, much larger budget. So, so going to Guelph for that director of housing position was to get those pieces. Oh, okay. It was to get those pieces. It wasn't to meet us? <laughs> well, of course. Uh, obviously, Adam. Uh. <laughs> to meet all the amazing, great people that I met there, and Jerome and Jen, and all the people that I met there that were there. But 
it was to have get the experience. It was a large. It was thirty million dollar budget. It was, uh, you know, seventy five full time staff and hundreds of student staff, and and it was in a unionized environment. So I had to learn about how to manage with a collective agreement and grievances and all that stuff. All that stuff. Yeah. What made you? I think I'm most curious about, and sometimes new professionals want to know too. How do you not plateau and just be like, I want to be this coordinator forever because I want to be like with the students, you know, like how, <laughs> like a lot of people are like in that stage. Yeah. So that feedback that you got was really good to propel you to see you see yourself in like in a senior position. What keeps like, I think, how does it happen? I think I didn't. I think that um, it was when I was dean of students at Vic. Those dean's positions are unique in that in that I was the dean of students and so I was like with the orientation com planning committee on Thursday nights till midnight planning what color the t-shirt should be and I was at the pub board and all the kinds of coordinator jobs but I reported to the president mm -hmm. and so I sat in the amongst you know it was me the principals of the two colleges the registrar the advancement person the chief financial officer the president so my colleagues were senior people in a small book, yes right in a mm -hmm. small um pond but really senior position. So I, I, I didn't just see myself as a coordinator hanging with the students. I was also at the table when big, difficult decisions around the whole institution were being discussed. So that helped. Um, I don't know. I just, I just knew I wanted to keep trying to do new things. I don't know. It's kind of... You know, I got the job at Vic, and it was a great experience. And then the job came open at Guelph, and all my call, you know, all those original group that I was like, oh my God, the job, and and I was like, I could, I could do that. You couldn't. They like all got behind me. It was kind of like one if one of us could get it, it would be like we, we somehow transcended something. And I remember the night I got the call that I got the job. I Marty worked at. University College said, and John Conrad worked at Woodsworth, and I phoned them, and they're like, we have to go get a drink. It was like nine o'clock at night, so I met them at the bar, and we phoned Jason, who was in Alberta, like to tell him. We phoned Murray, who was in Kingston, just because it was like a really big deal, because we'd all come from that same spot, and I was going back in the big job. Yeah. Anyway, so I don't, I don't know. I think that it's about kind of. Uh, I don't know that at that time I had the long-term yeah. long vision, um, but I had been applying for jobs that I thought were a bit of a stretch and getting good advice from people about yeah. if you're going to make that stretch, here's what you need yeah. to Here's the experience you need to have. So. And then, and then you left Guelph to become a RAM. Yeah. <laughs> well, and what a lot of people don't know is that I had applied for five senior student affairs jobs and gotten down to the final two and didn't get them. Mm. So uh, five different schools I had, you know, it's time. I've done this job at Guelph five years. I think it's time. And one after another after another, I didn't get the job. And when I applied for the job at Ryerson, I said to my husband, if I don't get this one, like, I don't, I don't need to be slapped in the face, clearly. I'm not meant to be a senior student affairs officer. So if I don't get this one, I'm done. I have to find something else to do. I didn't want to be the director of housing anymore. Um, and did you I don't get know feedback what along the way, or like not really? Um, not really, okay. because in every case, they had hired someone who was already doing the job at another school. Okay. Mm. Every single one. So it was kind of it, how was I going to convince them 
that I could do the job when I hadn't done it yet. And they okay. had a candidate who had done it at another yeah. school. Okay. Um, it didn't mean that that person would be better at it just because they'd done it, but it was a harder stretch. And there was something, I often have said this, the senior student affairs job is one of the only jobs in student affairs that is chosen by people who aren't in student affairs and don't understand student oh. affairs, right? Mm -hmm. It's the provost or the president or committee with faculty and stuff that are making the decision. And I don't, I don't think you can fully, truly understand the world or the job if you're not in it. And I think there were people who thought, oh, well, she she's, she's comes from housing. She just does housing. Like how, you know, this is a much bigger job than just housing. Right. But if you haven't worked in housing, you don't know housing's a con microcosm of all of it. Yeah. Right? So it there are issues that we deal with in student affairs for mental illness, accommodating students with disabilities, equity stuff. Well, every housing person deals with those every day because they live in this place that is the student world. So trying to figure out how to let committees know and convince the senior folks that uh, uh, housing is just like, if you want someone for, to do this job, you want someone from housing yeah. sure. versus one of the other disciplines um, because they've actually connected with, worked with, had experience with all the other aspects. I mean, even as a as an RA, I, there were times when we had to have meetings with uh, someone from the counseling unit to, because of something that was happening in our building that we needed advice on or to debrief or so. Anyway, somehow I was able to convince, you convince someone. Yeah, you convinced a few folks. Yeah, Ryerson. The other thing that happened in every one of those other cases, the the selection process when it got down to the final few was this full day run the gauntlet thing where they pick you up at eight o'clock in the morning and you're meeting with people or doing presentations on campus straight from then until, one of them was till 11 o'clock at night and it does what? not stop, no break, no nothing. You're, you're meeting with the student leaders now, you're gonna meet with all the people who would report to this position now, you're doing a public presentation for anyone who wants to come. Now you're having a meeting with this vice president, now you're having a meeting with this set of directors and so that all these people can give input on the candidates. Whoa. Ryerson wasn't bad. And for me, I'm an introvert off this, you know, in the Myers-Briggs thing. So when you look at introvert, extrovert, and where you get your energy, I'm an off-the-scale introvert. So my energy comes from breaks. And so I would run out of steam before that day would end, and I don't know if that was a factor. But at Ryerson, I had a, a two-hour meeting with the committee, and then had a lunch with the provost. And then they checked my references, and that was the decision. So I, hadn't, so I didn't run out of steam. Mm -hmm. I was able to be on from beginning to end and show my best self. Yeah. If it had just kept going and going and going at some point, I would have run out of steam. Anyway, so I almost didn't become a senior student affairs officer. Ryerson was the sixth attempt. Well, I'm glad that you did. <laughs> <laughs> so am I. So yeah, am I. It was, some a great, things. it was a great experience. It was a great experience. I learned so much, and I had a great time. And then one day I just went, done. Well, before that <laughs> okay, day before. came, that's like, <laughs> like seven years earlier. Um, yeah, what are the seven highlights? Seven years of Arson, right? Nine. 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 No, over nine. No, over yeah. nine, okay. Nine. It was a nine years and one month. Nine years and one month. Okay. okay. So one of the highlights we wanted to like hear you share, if possible, from 
your time at Ryerson was the In Her Shoes project. In her shoes, yeah. yeah. Absolute highlight. It was a good time to go, done. Um, <laughs> it, it was, uh, I just, so when you just asked me about uh, what advice you give to folks that, you know, I just want to be with the students. Yeah. What happens as you, what absolutely does happen as you work your way up in your career as you lose the kind of day-to-day connection you have with students. Um, and you end up getting to know two types of students, uh, interacting with two types of students. The very, very best, so the award winners, the um, presidents of student unions, the ones who have either been elected to positions or selected to positions, or you know some top student staff, uh, scholarship winners, students who end up being elected to the board or the senate. You meet those students, and then you meet the students who are the most vulnerable, a victim of sexual assault, a major mental health crisis that nobody else at the institution knows how to deal with the way the student's behaving and they might end up in your office. Someone who has advocated for themselves at, at every turn trying to deal with a financial problem and ends up um, going to the president's office and the president's office refers them to you. Mm-hmm. So you, you see the, sort of the best and the brightest and the, and the most vulnerable. And all those students in between, which is the vast majority of students, who are, you know, they're not winning awards and they're not running for office, but they're good and they're coping and they're going through and progressing and graduating and having a good experience and mostly have things covered. You, you don't see many of them. So this project was a, um, my way of trying to have some prolonged contact, not just go to you know, do a welcome at orientation and there's 3,000 of them and I'm standing on stage screaming into a microphone so they can hear me go welcome. They don't know who I am or care, right? Um, It was a way to try and have some prolonged contact, not just go go to one class and, oh, this is cool, I went to class. So the idea was to pick a year-long project each year that I would do with them, like I was one of them, and actually get to know them. And it was really, really fun. It, it, you know, you have, I couldn't have, people say, how do you do it? I mean, I don't have kids. That's how I could do it. Um, because it was a lot, especially the second year. The first year, I joined the fourth year fashion design class and um, did the capstone project. And as you heard earlier. Like tying I, in your past you hobby. So <laughs> And so that wasn't hard for me as far as the technical act of making the clothes, designing, making the patterns, making the clothes. Um, but, you know, to keep up with the schedule, it gets all the pieces that had to be done ha- done and handed in on time and going to class and talking And the capstone was like a full collection almost, a, right? Well, five five-piece collection. Yeah, that you had to, like, show. Oh. It was yeah. Like, yeah, that's And then so they ended with, they end up with a big runway show that sh- every student, every graduating student um, uh, collection is walks the runway. You have to get your own models and make the clothes to fit them and... Anyway, so that was really fun. Oh, my God. That one minute while I'm standing backstage, I'm watching on a monitor my models. I'm with them as they're lining up, walking along, waiting till they get up to their turn, and they go out, and I'm watching it on a monitor. That one minute, it was a minute. <laughs> so, honestly, one of the most exciting moments of my life. It was so much fun. Wow. Quick aside, did I watched you the, the video music? of the minute of that minute over and over and oh, over and over. It's just on repeat? Yeah. So, did you get to pick the song? 
No, no, no. Okay. No. Oh, too no. bad. If you could, what would no. you pick? No. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> like a walk up. I don't know. I have no idea. Work. Okay. okay. <laughs> Work and gra- No. No, because no. it was like there were 70 collections. They couldn't change oh, the song yeah. every, every, every minute. minute. Yeah, it was a Fair. soundtrack of the. There had to be some continuity in the show. Fair point. Fair point. Yeah. So what was the second? The second, the year second was the one was the basketball. Basketball one. So I joined the um, varsity women's basketball team, which would never have been possible had the coach not been like totally. Because the athletic That's director actually said to me, "I don't know if the coach is going to want you because there's some stuff you're going to see that you're not going to like." And I'm like, "Like what? Well, sometimes they get they have to yell at the players. Sometimes they, um, and, I, and you know if." A coach has got to feel safe. They can do that in front of their boss's boss and aren't going to get in trouble. I said, I'm totally there to be, like, I'm not to not to play. I'm not Heather, the vice provost. I'm there as just a, a completely incompetent player. Who <laughs> that made the team. Get brought along for the, for the ride. Um, and the coach and the players, I don't think the players knew how to take me at the beginning, but by the end, it's just a... Um, that was probably the highlight that year probably the highlight of my whole student affairs career because mm. I got to know those got to sp- spend I saw them every single day unlike my the fashion one where I'd see the students maybe once a week when I go to class because it was a three hour class every week um, but I saw them every single day because they practiced every single day and I went to every practice and I sat on the bench during every game and I rode to the bus on the bus to away games and stayed in the hotel and we traveled to BC and we went down to the oh states and we went up to Thunder Bay, and we, we you know, I, I did all of it. I think I missed maybe three or four practices, and I think I missed one game. Um, and the practices were usually 5 to 7 every night, except Wednesday it was 6 a.m. to 8 a.m., and Fridays was like 2 to four, two to 5, Friday afternoon, or like 1 to 3, something like that. So Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday were 5 to 7. Wednesday was 6 a.m. to 8 a.m., and then um, on Saturday and Sunday were usually games, or Saturday there were usually games, and sometimes on Sunday there was like a yoga class or something I had to do. So, and with the way weight training in the gym, I would go and lift weights with them in the gym, and it was a uh, I had my own little cubicle locker in the locker room, and I it was awesome. I was so impressed with them; they were so capable with about real studying in school talking about, worried about boys, you know, parents around, struggling with just life, and, but were these exceptionally capable and talented athletes at the same time. Wow. Yeah. What a schedule. It was really, really, really fun. But, you know, I spent a lot of time with them, and I'm not married anymore, so that'll tell you something. I'm sorry. No. Basketball. (laughs) For loving basketball. (laughs) You could... And then the third year, um, I didn't. I just did a half-year project, and it was. Uh, I enrolled in the second-year organic chemistry class. Oh, I don't know why. <laughs> I really, Sorry. I loved it. I did, I loved it. I was like really determined. I'm going to learn this, and the professor was great <laughs> about having me there. And the uh, most of the students had taken. They they had to have first and they had to have two chemistry prerequisites from first year, which I didn't have. And I hadn't been in high school in 30 years, so I didn't know anything. And I'm just like, I, I had caught this idea that if I try hard enough, I can learn how to do anything. And um, I, I, I did it. The first test, I handed in the first test, and I got my 
test back and I had like 57% or something. And I was, I was just like, <sighs> I felt really stupid. And then he said to the class, uh, he said, he didn't say what it was, but he said, you guys remember the first day you met Heather over here? I'm just sitting there. Oh, gosh. Remember the first day? <laughs> yeah, well, Heather's a vice provost of students. No chemistry before Walker said it's the first chemistry class she's ever taken at a university. Her grade in the, la- in the first test was equal to the class average. Oh, that means snap. half of you did worse than her. <laughs> snap! <laughs> half of you did worse than her, and she's never taken chemistry before. So there's absolutely no reason Ooh. you can't pass this course. You're like, how am I supposed to make friends now? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot, Heather. Like, <laughs> I didn't make as many friends. Nope. Well, but I made a few, mostly in the lab. But anyway, um, I I was determined. I'm a, a bit of a, like, I, I just a bit obsessed with, like, trying to learn what I'm supposed to learn and do well, and I don't like to not pass tests. And, mm. So the way there was no midterm; it was ten quizzes, one a week for ten weeks, and then there was the final exam. And uh, I, my worst quiz was that first one, fifty-seven, and one one of the ten I got perfect on. Cool. And then the final exam was really, really hard, and I thought it was the day after it really was. So I was really behind when I realized I had the wrong day. I was like, I had had less time to study than I thought I did. But I went and wrote the final exam. It was at 8 o'clock in the morning in the gym, in the big gym, 500 students at little tables with my, I had my little pencil sharpener and my pencils and all lined up and my, you know, and the yeah. clock and they handed out the things and silence. Yeah, remember, right? right? Oh, yeah. Cool. And I was there and I sat right in the middle of it all and wrote, <laughs> wrote this final exam in organic chemistry. And I ended up, I don't know what I got on the exam, but in about 60 something, but in the end, with all my quizzes the exam, had I actually been enrolled, I would have had a B minus. Oh, oh so snap. So that was, that was okay. okay. Yeah, sounds okay. But sure. it reminded me, it reminded me of all of that. Mm-hmm. Like I knew that, I knew all of that. You just had this sense memory, right? Yes. When I was talking about it, I knew all of it because I'd been through it, but it just reminded me of it. It reminded me of it. And it, it, it doesn't hurt to go back there because that's what our students are living in. Right. And you get far enough away from it, and you don't, it's not you forget it, but you kind of think, they're all stressed out. I, I did it. It's no big yeah. deal, right? right? Yeah. yeah. But if you're in it and you're sitting there and you you remember, and it all comes back. It makes it more real. Yeah. Or like, yeah. 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 So for folks who, um, for whatever reason, can't make practice every day or can't sign up for the courses, and what, like, what are some... Because it sounds like it was a deep learning experience and it was very meaningful. Yeah. Um, what are some strategies that folks can figure out how to maybe not be in their shoes, but at least remain connected? Find, finding st- students that to talk to. Yeah. Like uh, the other thing I did throughout all at all three projects was found Sioux students and asked them if I could interview them, mm-hmm. and would take notes and sort of put up post. I had a blog and so other people could read about it, but f- you know. If you're if you're a busy student affairs professional, and you don't have that kind of contact with students, y- you can easily do one thing a week. Right. Find a student that you don't know, through someone else. Um, help get colleagues to help you find find and and take take a student out for lunch once a week, mm-hmm. and just go tell me about yourself. Yeah. And those interviews were like, so what's your background, and what do you why did you choose to study that, and is it hard, and what are your what would people be surprised to know about you and how, did your parents want you to study that? And like, just one hour a week. 
and just do nothing but sit down with a student you don't know and ask them about themselves, and they will remember that experience right. too. Like, That's wow, true. This person just was just wanted to know about me. That's mm. rare for them too. So that's what I would suggest. Um, also during your time at Ryerson, you wrote a very compelling article that I think we've spoken about a few times too. It was oh, the one for the blog, Student Affairs blog? Yeah. It about was where educational institutions, design. yeah. Where educational institutions by design. Yeah, yeah. What motivated you to write that piece? Um, it was, a, a lot of it was the, the, some of the stuff in the press, right at the beginning of the kind of focused attention on sexual violence and, uh, you know, a lot's been done, at, which is really good at institutions around revising policies and putting practices in place and um, support for students. But this um, sexual violence, mental health, there were a lot of issues that were uh, important for us to pay attention to, but also challenging in our work. And um, for those of us who started out you know, I remember as a residence manager having a student come and tell me that she had been sexually assaulted and helping navigate her through that and um, getting counseling and stuff. But it wasn't, it didn't have the tone of like, well, if you, if the institution was doing the right thing, this wouldn't happen. Mm -hmm. And I felt, I had a really strong reaction to the fact that this is something that I talked about and helped support people through my entire career. And now all of a sudden, I was being made to feel like I should have done something to prevent it. Um, when the thing that we were being asked to prevent was something that's pervasive in our society. And the tone changed a lot. After I wrote that article, after the Giangameshi case and mm -hmm. the Harvey Weinstein, all of, when all of those instances came out, then you could kind of breathe and go, it's not, it's not just a university student issue. Right. It's not just a, this sector that's got a problem. It's like society. humanity. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so it was, it was really about, like, we're not courts of law. We're not um, psych psychiatric hospitals. We're not any of those things. We're, we're a university. We're an educational institution. And there are other sectors that are responsible for these kinds of things that increasingly people expect the university to be responsible for for its students. Yeah. Providing counseling and, you know, I used to say if a student um, was enrolled in our in a university and, and was diagnosed with cancer, no one would expect us to have an oncologist on mm. staff. Yeah. If a student broke their leg, no one would expect us to have a place to go on campus for them to have that bone set and have a cast put on. But if a student was um, suffering with, with a mental illness, there's this expectation that it's our responsibility to provide all the resources and supports that that student would need. So it was just around that conversation about where where is our responsibility and how far do we need to go to provide supports that and resources that are really the normally the purview of other agencies in our society. We're not separate from, we're part of. Part of. Yeah. And those different mm -hmm. agencies also have deep expertise sometimes well, that they, yeah. we yeah. might not. Right? Yeah, and this idea that, um, that the alternative to a flawed um, criminal justice system response to sexual violence was that we should now oh, start yeah. adjudicating and trying in our 
in our tribunal cases on campus just was like something doesn't seem right. right. Like substitute justice. Can't, I can't get it here. So, so I'm going to get it over here. Mm -hmm. and, and, and somehow this surprise that we didn't, that, you know, what's wrong with us? Why don't you have the expertise? You should be dealing with this. That's not what we do. That's not what this yeah. organization is designed for. And Ryerson would probably be very, had a very different experience than many other schools. So at Guelph and Waterloo, places where um, you know, thousands of students lived on campus, right. you would see more instances of student-on-student -student, um, inappropriate behavior because they're all living, a lot of them, together. But in the first year of the sexual violence office, kind of re as constituted after this, this uh, new attention at Ryerson, um, you know, 90% of the people who were coming there looking for support, their experience was not, their, they were not wronged at the hands of another student. They were, it was in their job, it was from high school, it was like... Family. At a club, down, you know. Right. It, yeah, yeah. So this idea that if we do the right thing, we'll eradicate sexual violence from student experience, as long as they still live in our society and in our world, we're not going to eradicate it. Right. <laughs> That's a much bigger issue, mm. human being issue. Yeah. 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 Oh, goodness. Okay. Anyway. No, I really appreciated reading that, and I bring it up all the time when we think about mm. where you are, institutions, responsibilities begin and end, because yeah. I think it's dynamic, and I think we have certain responsibilities, and it doesn't, uh, but it's also the expectations might be different at any given moment. Yeah. And it's so hard. It's, it's, it's hard. hard. And, you know, what I'm saying to you right now, I probably wouldn't be saying to you if I was still in that job. Yeah, that Because makes... you, can, you can also, you're afraid to say certain things, to raise certain questions and to ask, well, is that our responsibility? For fear that, you know, the world will crash down upon you for having a thought that may be not politically correct or appropriate to uh, particular groups of people. So, right. yeah. And I think so much of our field is based on, like, taking care of the whole student yeah. in ways that maybe other parts of the institution may only see them as intellectual experiences, but we, yeah. so I think that also drives our need to be like all encompassing, which I think that's problematic as well. Well, it's, it's our need, but it's also... Not looking at the whole student, right. thinking we're mm -hmm. everything to everyone. But it's also our, our um, the, some of the times the expectation of those at the institution who think, well, that's student affairs job. So, you know, if a, if a, Faculty member calls and says, "Well, I have a student in my class, and uh, I don't feel safe. So you, you know, deal with it, right?" Or when I was at Guelph, I used there used there was a senior person. I won't we're in nameless, but there was a senior person who would call me as the director of housing on a Monday morning and say, "Do you know what your students did this weekend?" And I would say, "You mean our students?" <laughs> um, this sort of oh, expectation, wow. and I just explain to people all the time, uh, the, the students are not my employees. I can't make them do things the way you want me to. You, you just tell me, make them stop doing that. I can't, can't make them stop doing that. They don't work for me. They're, they're you know. And they're on, they're on their own educational journey. Like, yeah. they're learning not only inside the classroom, but out. You can't control and the lessons that, that come their way. Read some stuff on brain development. And yeah. Stop expecting an 18-year-old to act like a 40-year-old. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. Just like you wouldn't expect a two-year-old to act like a 10-year-old. Yeah. It's age-appropriate behavior. Some of the behaviors you're seeing that you wish I could make stop is actually age-appropriate behavior. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but I remember you saying so that when... So <laughs> <laughs> I 
I remember you saying that at co-op was like age appropriate. It doesn't always mean appropriate, but it, it just, like developmentally oh, yes. is something. It, it might be what what you will see, and we've always seen from yeah, seventeen year olds, teenagers, thirteen year olds, fourteen year olds. Pick the age. There are behaviors that you would expect and have always throughout history seen from individuals in in uh, that age group, and in fact, all of science tells us that you know our brains aren't fully formed till we're well into our twenties. So. So I wanted to, I mean, we're getting towards the end of our time, okay. but I wanted to just ask a few more things. And Which one? I don't know, but I... So much. So I many questions. So much. <laughs> but there, so I think much one of the things you. that, I mean, you, you had gone to get this credential to kind of aim for the stars at the Senior Student Affairs, but you had kind of gone through this process, and then you're kind of in it for like yeah. nine years. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then you're shift, you've shifted into a new yeah. role. So with that kind of benefit of kind of hindsight... I, how was your, what was it like to finally attain this position that you've been kind of aiming towards for, for quite a bit? Um, it was great. It was great. I, I learned a great deal. It was very, I think Ryerson was the right place for me to have that role. Um, it, was, it was kind of a new role. There was a director of student services, but there wasn't a vice provost student affairs. It was part of the finance administration portfolio prior mm. to that. Um, so I could kind of make it my own and uh, bring value where I thought I could bring value. I, un unlike many of my colleagues, some of my colleagues uh, have the same experience, but um, I had the registrar's office as part of my portfolio and many of my colleagues didn't. Mm -hmm. um, so that was, a, that was amazing for me because I got to learn about a whole new side of the university that I wouldn't have known about at mm -hmm. all. Um, and I really appreciated having that piece. Um, it, I, I learned a lot. Nice. I, I went away feeling like it was probably the first time that I had a job where fairly quickly I'm like, I can do this job. I, I can do this job. I can do it well. Mm. And I can bring value. I didn't have the same kind of crisis of, of confidence that I'd had in, in the past. Oh, really? Yeah. So and maybe it was just because of all the experiences that I had had led, led me to be ready. It was good. Oh, nice. I guess reflecting on like so many aspects of, of your career, you've learned everything from you've learned something from each role. Like, what do you wish? I guess more student affairs professionals knew. Like, what are things that you learned throughout your roles that you're like, I wish as a coordinator, or I wish as someone in registrar's office knew this. Um, I wish everyone at the university knew everyone from frontline registrar people to professors, um, I wish they all, and this is part of what the In Their Shoes project was about, I wish they all um, made sure that they kept a part of their brain uh, focused on empathy and understanding mm -hmm. um, that that student who's in front of you who's really upset is having a bad day and there's a way that you can talk to them that will at least not make it worse. Yeah. Um, you might not be able to make it better, but uh, too often the person gets defensive or they don't like the way the student's talking to them so they 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 project their bad day yeah um, so I, I would I would say that I would say that if for I'm not sure if this answers the questions but I think about student affairs professionals who want to who want to move up in their career yeah. lots of people get into student affairs um, bring a very much you know if you look at their Myers-Briggs or colors, they bring very much a um, feelings 
yeah. uh, approach. They bring very much a, um, a th- their their natural uh, tendency is towards um, um, feeling emotion, affect, mm-hmm. as opposed to logic and yeah. um, a kind of a analytical approach. And you need you need both. You absolutely need both, and I think if you only have the analytical brain and you don't have the empathy, you you can go all the way and do the job, but you probably not be as good at it. Mm-hmm. And if you only have the feeling brain and you don't bring the ability to analyze and make difficult decisions in a way that you're not going to lose sleep about or beat yourself up about or be overwhelmed by um, people's reaction to, even though they're the right decisions, you're, you're not going to you're going to have a difficult time making decisions. So I've seen people like, oh, I don't know if I want to do that. And people will be upset. And and my response is like, yeah, they'll be upset, but they'll get over it. And this is the right thing to do. So you've got to be able to to, do both things. And I think I learned that. Um, I think my natural tendency is more on the analytical side. But um, I, I care, too. Can care too. <laughs> <laughs> gotta have both. Gotta have both. Gotta have both. And and there are jobs in student affairs that you can do from just the help, feeling, yeah. kindness perspective. I don't know. It's not the right way because those are all important, good things. But where you don't actually, you you're never in a position where you've got to make difficult decisions and use your analytical brain. And I think that's when people get start to get stuck. Yeah. Right? They avoid. I don't want to do a budget. I don't want to deal yeah. with this. They avoid that stuff. You can't move your yourself. You can't move up in your career without management skills and financial skills and analytical ability and ability to make difficult decisions and. And that strategic piece. And yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Oh. I didn't answer your question. But no, you did. Good. No, that was yeah. You did help. This is basically just like. An executive coaching session for yeah. the guys of a podcast. Yeah, here, so. like, oh man, I wish this was like a bonus two-hour episode or something. Just uh-huh. anyway, it would be draining, but I just want to pick your brain. Yeah, keep. I'll keep talking. <laughs> um, the longer I, the longer I sit here and talk, the less traffic there'll be on the drive back to Guelph. Well, then maybe we have a time so for some of these. Until the morning. A new section that Nadia invented <laughs> called past tweets. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. A uh, past tweet was uh, from you. Reading Lindy West Shrill, her simple directives mentioned in the intro- introduction. Do a good job, be vulnerable, make things, choose to be kind. Oh, so good, huh? That was you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I know, it's from her book. Yeah. Um, uh, the book called Shrill is a book. Yeah. You should read it. You would love it. She's uh, a woman who's just, she's a, a comedian, I think, a writer. Um, I don't know how I came across the book, but I uh, really enjoyed reading it, and it's funny and heartbreaking, and I just resonated with those things, hmm. especially the the be vulnerable. You, it, it's a lot of what you hear from um, Brene, Brene Brown. Brown, but I think that you have to be real, and I think sometimes people get into a position of authority, and they feel like they have to act like that position. They feel like they have to act like that position. Well, now I'm a vice provost. I have to act like a vice provost. Yeah. you got to be real because you can't sustain an act. Yeah. I don't think. 
Well, I thought we could probably keep going with more past tweets, but the the room, room. this room is booked and the student and the library is locked in. So let's get to our uh, rapid, rapid fire, fire questions <laughs> and then we'll have to wrap this up. I'm glad that. you picked that past tweet because that was a good one. That was a yes. good one. Yeah. Um, all right, That's rapid fire good. questions. Are you ready? Yeah. Last Netflix binge, if you Netflix. Uh, I do. Um, I'm not done, but Good Place. Oh, yeah. I hadn't watched it when it was aired, so I okay. was watching it on... And I'm watching one, I'm, I'm in the middle of a few. Good Place, one called Rake, which okay. is Australian, about a lawyer. It's very funny. I think I know the answer to this. Dog okay. or cat person? Dog. Yeah. Dog. There's no comparison. Yeah. I'm also allergic to cats. Dog. <laughs> if you were to host a podcast, what it would be? what would it be about? Oh. Um, I don't, I'm, I have no idea. I don't know. TBA. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I don't know. That's all right. Um, <laughs> do you, what is something folks would be surprised to learn about you? I'm kind of like, just me, I'm out there. Um, <laughs> maybe, maybe that I spent a lot of time feeling like I wasn't smart enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was surprised to learn that. Yeah, maybe that I had really struggled with my intellectual self-confidence for a long time. I just yeah. think your motorcycle license is pretty rad. Yes, oh, I yeah. have a motorcycle <laughs> license, I do, and I, I had a motorcycle. I don't anymore. Um, I, had, I, did, I had a problem with my wrist, and when my husband and I separated, uh, we split up the stuff, and he, he sold his bike and bought mine for me, So, because uh, I was moving to a condo where I wouldn't have had anywhere to store it anyway. Um, I've since had surgery on my wrist, so, you know, who knows? Who Maybe knows? one day I'll have to get another one, but, yeah. Um, last book you read? Last book I read, um, uh, Busy Phillips biography. Oh. Um, biography. What's it called? Uh, oh, that's this, cool. This this will only hurt a little bit. Oh, a friend of mine her. bought it for me for my birthday. I just finished it a couple weeks ago. All right. So we've got the student who was waiting to get in. Um, our last question, because this is a relay, and Janet and Marty nominated you to be interviewed. So do you have any names that of folks we should interview next? Yeah, I'm going to give you one name. Uh, Tim Raleigh. <gasps> Ooh, Tim Raleigh, President Raleigh, who I've known for a long time. He and I taught uh, the uh, Canadian Student Student Affairs and Services together for four or five years. He and I and Dave Hanna, but uh, he had a very similar portfolio to me at Simon Fraser, and has just it was just announced he's yeah. been appointed the president of yep. Mount Royal University. And like Janet, who's the president of Sheridan, those are two really really groundbreaking kinds of appointments because yeah. normally the presidents of institutions don't come from the student affairs world. And so Tim Raleigh, because okay. he knows everything about our world, yeah. and he's going to go off and be a president. It would be really interesting to, to talk to him before he does about what he's thinking and why he wants to do that and what he thinks it's going to be like and all that. Okay. So that's my recommendation. And it's before he's a president where he's still allowed to like say things. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Although well, he is out there. Who knows? Do you know Tim? Yeah. He's very funny, and and uh, I think you'll you would enjoy talking to him. So amazing. Thank you. Well, thanks, Heather. This was amazing. You're amazing. Yeah. So good. That was a good one. So good. There's so much more to talk with her about, and definitely like if we have like a bonus interview season like that's when I would definitely want to hit up yes yes so if people want to connect with Heather on Twitter what's the best way to do it at HLV1 
great. Also, if you want to find us on Twitter, my handle is at NadsRoses. And mine is at Adam Kuhn, K-U-H-N. Don't forget to include the hashtag RelayEssay. Yeah, and so that's episode two. We've got to thank Adrian Ross, who did our amazing theme music for thank the episode. You. And I think that's it. I think yeah, so. Yeah, thanks for listening. Bye. See you next time. Thank you.